tired of being in the dark about cryptocurrency? Learn how to grow your money, navigate and stay ahead in this crazy new economy through easy to understand conversations with experts as we simplify the ins and outs of digital money and blockchain and how it will continue to affect our lifestyle. Pick up something new every two weeks with our crypto journalist, host Barbara Donato. Hello, everyone. My name is Barbara Donato, and welcome to Crypto Chronicles, where we delve into the world of all things cryptocurrency. Looking towards the future, I'm realizing more and more that as cryptocurrency becomes increasingly prevalent in our everyday life, there is so much knowledge out there that we can attain. So please learn alongside me as I talk to the experts and those in the know about the ins and outs of digital money. My guest, Ari, better known as Crypto Ari, has a YouTube following of over 50,000 subscribers and a Twitter following close to 60,000. Due to her direct approach and vast knowledge and the ability to keep her subscribers on top of important crypto news, she is currently living in Japan, and I'm totally jealous. Hello, Ari. Hello, Barbara. Thank you so much for having me. Well, how are you doing? And I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your crypto self, like who or what introduced you to cryptocurrency? Yeah, everybody has a unique story. And for me, it was having a lunch in Tokyo at a Hawaiian restaurant and with one of my uh, younger friends who is a coder. So he's a engineer developer. And we just were chit-chatting. This is 2013. And he told me, you might want to check this out. It was Bitcoin and Litecoin at the time. And when he told me about it, I really didn't understand anything he was telling me. But he is a person I really know is in the know, and he's a smart guy. So I said, well, I better, better look into this. So I did a little research. And then I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. And What was interesting for me at that time was because I was living in Japan, I had a lot of firsthand experience with sending money to the United States or getting money from the United States. It's that remittance flow back and forth. Mm -hmm. And it's expensive. And at that time, it wasn't easy. And uh, also, I just really, uh, what appealed to me is the ability to actually break away from the dependency of fiat, because I'm not really 100% sure that the US dollar is going to be as strong as it has been in the past. And it also, the controlling of my own money was appealing as well. And I think the fact that it was a trustless environment. And that's a word that's used a lot in crypto, trustless, which means you don't have to rely on a third party or a centralized entity that can totally shut you off. For example, if you do something wrong on PayPal, they can completely shut your account down. Or if you do something with a bank, for that matter, they have the ability to completely freeze your funds. And when you learn that having a crypto asset, nobody is going to take that away from you and you totally 100% control your environment and you're your own bank. 
that's pretty appealing. And the fact that you can move money across borders without that friction for a fraction of the cost, so I don't have to pay the bank any wire fees, any transfer fees, then I'm a little bit of a libertarian, which means not to get political, but the older I have become, the more I don't really want governments to have that much control over my finances. So I, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that that I was immediately pulled into the deep rabbit hole, as people say. When I did that research, I found, oh, this is something that really is interesting. Nice. Well, you mentioned fiat currency. And correct me if I'm wrong, but fiat currency would be like our U.S. dollar, something that we're, that's, um, that you can feel, like paper money. Yeah, it's not necessarily paper because uh, you're going to see the dollar go digital here soon. Central banks are going to issue their sovereign currency. Sovereign currency is the word you would use that it pertains to a country, a government, a border. And so this fiat is part of the economies that reside within one of the 180. 80, 190 countries that are in the world. So all each country that has their own sovereign currency is what's called fiat. It doesn't have to be paper anymore. There's a lot of countries that are beyond even experimentation. They actually are starting to issue their currency in a digital format. So sometimes from a central bank. And now in China, for example, they're starting to even bring that digital renminbi into the even the next lower tier banks for direct access to the people. So it's really, that's where it's going. I am going to ask you a question about that later on, but I do want to ask you this first. Do you think cryptocurrency will be more dominant than fiat currency in the future? No. Some people do believe that crypto is going to take over the world. I'm not one that subscribes to that philosophy or belief because I think it'll be a cold day in hell before governments are ready to relinquish control of their sovereign currency. But I think that it will be, there are privacy coins that will work around, up, over, and under fiat that is not trackable, which I think governments are very afraid of. But then you're going to have also cryptocurrencies that work in combination to complement the digital state-run sovereign currencies. And those that complement it will be used in lots of different ways to do cross-border remittances, to do smart contracts for lending. There'll be just so many different use cases for crypto that work in tandem with a sovereign currency. So. I know some people out there believe that crypto is going to take over the world. I don't believe it. Yes, I've come across a few on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. So you did mention use cases, and that's a term that I actually just discovered and don't understand. But first I wanted to ask, there was something called, in in conjunction with use case, I read about something called white papers. Mm -hmm. And I read somewhere in a forum that each coin usually um, has a white paper. 
Should each coin have a white paper? And what exactly is a white paper? It's nothing more than a term that's used that's almost synonymous with business plan. So it's where it will outline the team behind. And this is another thing that that I think maybe is confusing in the beginning. Some people call them coins. Some people call them tokens. Some people call them assets. Some people call them cryptocurrency. In Japan, there's actually an official term that has been adopted by the government, and it's called a crypto asset. So you shouldn't be confused when you hear all those different terms, a coin, a token, an asset. Which is it? It's all really the same. So, And I don't really want to just stick to one, but if I stick to one for this conversation, I'm going to stick to what Japan calls it, and that's a crypto asset. So the crypto asset, most of them have a use case. Most of them, not all, not all, but most of them. And in that use case, it is attached to a business plan or a white paper that will outline the team, the actual people who are behind the project. It'll very often have a roadmap. So it says like in Q1, we want to hit this milestone in Q2 of 2021, we plan to do this. In Q3, we plan to do this. And then you'll have the basic business model described to you in those in those white pages or those white papers. And then what differentiates the project? Because of course, if a project is going to be successful, it has to have some differentiating value to it. It can't be it has to be special, right? It to be successful. And also too, the really good quality projects out there, they will also list some of the inherent risks. Because there are always risks to every project, whether it's competition, whether it's technology changing, quantum computing could maybe crack the code on the cryptographic keys. I mean, there's just, there's always risk in any business plan. So I think your quality projects, I think you always want to kind of see, do they talk about the risk? If they, if they just say, oh no, we're going to be the number one, we're going to own this space, you know, step back and say, "Mm, wait a minute here, (laughs) because not everybody can achieve what they outline in their white papers. Okay. So now the question would be use case. So now the white papers are, like you said, they're kind of like a business plan. They're they're describing what the coin is, the risk and the rewards pretty much is what you're saying from it. It, Mm -hmm. Would it also describe, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was, should coins have some type of purpose, which I'm sure is written within the, the white pages? What I would probably say is, what is the use case of a coin? Is that a better way to say yeah. to say that to ask that question? Yeah, and some of those use cases are problems, or let me just say it this way: they're solutions to problems that don't really exist. And then there are projects out there that have those crypto assets that are actually solving real problems that do exist. So one of the things you hear people say is, ah, that project's just chasing a problem that doesn't really exist or doesn't need to be solved. But there are 
a really good number of projects that are truly solving and improving and making our world a better place because of the use of combination blockchain and a crypto asset or a coin or a token. Yeah, very nice. Now, should all coins have a use case? Like when somebody says to me, hey, I want to tell you about, you know, and I'm just going to say ABC, this ABC coin is amazing. Should I say, well, what's the use case of that? Like, do I, like if I were to buy that coin or invest in that coin, is a use case something that I should look at as an indicator as to whether or not it's a good buy? That is like the million dollar question. The reason why is because, I mean, there's many reasons why people put their money in this space, okay? Some people do it because they love the technology. You know, I mean, they just love it. They just love to be a part of accelerating and promoting the adoption of this technology. That's one reason why some people are in this space. Some people are in this space because they are purely speculative, meaning I want to make some money. They don't care about the use case. I don't give a crap about what this coin does. I don't care. If it's going to pump for me and it's a good price and I can 10x my money, that's all I care about. So those are the people who are in it for the speculation. So then you have the third person, and I'm just naming these are three simple reasons. There's probably more reasons, all right? But the third reason would be because you really believe that this project has a use case that improves people's lives. And so you believe that it'll be successful and that you are going to take an investment approach and buy it, hold it, and sell it down the road as it grows in value. So when you ask me, should a coin have a use case? Well, Barbara, I can tell you that sometimes if you're in it just to make money, this is one of those speculative places. I don't do it. I really don't do it. But I did. Back in 2017, I did. I don't do it anymore because it's just kind of a form of gambling. Mm. And it's okay if you want to gamble with your money and you want to get into some of these speculative projects that really do pump. And if you can get in and get out, get in low, get out high, good on you. I mean, (laughs) if you're willing to take that risk and you successfully do it, which is, it's possible. Is it probable? Depends on the market. Are you in a bear market or are you in a bull market? And right now we are really lucky. We happen to be in a bull market right now, which means the market is very strong and many projects are increasing in value because the whole market kind of moves, joined at the hip, if you will, through the sentiment and through the money flow with Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is very strong right now. So it's pulling up a lot of these projects with it. Yeah, that's what I'm noticing. As Bitcoin goes up, there are some of these smaller, yeah. the, I guess they're called altcoins that have been kind of riding the wave. Yeah, they're riding the wave. And altcoin is just short for alternative coin because the Bitcoin maxis, and I'm saying that with love because I'm a Bitcoin holder, but the maxis, they're the maximalists who believe that 
the only coin that matters out there is Bitcoin and every other coin is a alternative coin. So that's how altcoins got the name altcoins. Ah. Everything except Bitcoin. I did not know that. So thank you so much for explaining that to me because I just thought they were altcoins. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what's really interesting to your question? Is that here we've got the number one coin right now leading the pack, right? Is Bitcoin in terms of, right. So my question to you, and this is just kind of fun for me to hear your answer. What is Bitcoin's use case? Well, funny story. When I saw that people were saying that use case and and they were, they kept saying blockchain use case. And I looked, I kind of started looking up like what it was about. And I spoke to, there was other people about it. And it looked as if it was used because our, the U.S. dollar was, tell me, I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping I, I'm saying this right. Like there was, in 2008, there was like a, a market issue. So a gentleman named Satoshi decided that he wanted to create Bitcoin because it would be some type of decentralized versus centralized and he would be able to move money without having the government tell you what to do with it or hold your asset. Am I on the right track? Wow, it's a great, great answer. Yeah, you really hit it. And we don't know if Satoshi was a man or a woman. We don't know if it's one person or if it was a group of people. Everybody has their kind of their educated guess. We know those people who worked early on it in terms of getting the bugs out, but we don't really know who wrote the white paper for Bitcoin. And yeah, you're right. The 2008 financial crash was one of the reasons why this project was born. And yes, you're right. It's about a peer-to-peer movement of money without having to rely on any centralized entity, no bank, no government, nobody can stop you. Literally, nobody can stop you. And even today, nobody can stop you. So you hit it. So its use case was this peer-to-peer kind of transfer of value. It, it still does transfer value, and it doesn't work so great as a payment system just because the movement of that value is sometimes expensive on a fee and sometimes slow. and the meme pool can get, the transactions that get built up can get backed up so it can take time. So it's not the most, it's not like Visa. You can do about seven transactions per second where you've got Visa that can do, you know, 125,000 per second. I don't know their exact number, but so it's not the most beautiful use case for payments, but it is a beautiful use case to be able to move real value to anybody you want at any time, anywhere on the planet, and nobody can stop you. Yay. Thank you, Mr. Jackson and Mr. Hart. I paid attention when they talked to me. <laughs> so I learned it actually, there was something that actually stayed in my brain, absorbed. So you met, so we, on that subject, centralization versus decentralization. And again, Mr. Hart, Mr. Jackson, I hope I, I'm doing them right when I say this. Centralization is government, mostly government control. Decentralization is not. Am I simplifying it too much or? No, but you can't always just point to government. It could be someone like Twitter, 
Twitter is centralized. It's not decentralized. And look at what Twitter just did. And again, I'm not doing political business, but Twitter just decided to ban President Trump, right? Right. Trump. So what that is, is a central entity making the decision, which doesn't, it's not a trustless environment. He, somebody's making, somebody has control. And what happens when Twitter goes down because they have their servers attacked by some hacker in Russia or North Korea, or I'm not pointing to a country, but you know, if, if, if their servers get hacked, then none of us will be able to communicate through Twitter. Yeah, exactly. You lose the you lose the capability of being able to log on. Just happened to Google about a month and a half ago, where they didn't really tell everyone exactly what happened, but you couldn't even do a Google search. You couldn't even get onto YouTube. You couldn't get your Gmail. So these are centralized entities, which means that there is risk when you work with blockchain. There are these nodes, and a node is just a point at which that data goes through, and those nodes are all over the planet. So you can't just attack one computer node because there's too many nodes. It can just bypass that one node that was attacked, and the system can't be brought down. So when you talk about centralized or decentralized, the decentralized environments, or what's called DeFi, DeFi, so incredibly robust and strong that you can't take it down. Look at that. And DeFi means decentralized. The DeFi is the decentralized finance part of, yeah, what is really big right now. DeFi is where they are. Well, I don't know how the banks are going to deal with DeFi because. There's now so many sophisticated transactions occurring with these smart contracts that are being built and totally, totally going off into a world that the banks have no control over at all. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It is. Are all cryptocurrencies decentralized? Because, and I'm going to put two of my questions together. So people don't, again, my, my audience hasn't, doesn't really know what crypto, like XRP and what's going on in the XRP world. XRP is a coin. I thought it was a token, but now I'm realizing that token and coin mean the same thing. Yeah. And the SEC is taking up issue with the um, Ripple, which is the company that XRP, I guess that created XRP. Am I saying that properly? It was gifted. It was gifted the coins or tokens or assets. And so, and it's just an asset that Ripple, the company happens to use in one of its use cases, which is cross-border remittances, but it's completely separate. So XRP, the asset is completely hundred percent separate than the company Ripple, which is a software company. They just use this asset. So this is where the confusion is. The SEC this is a government regulations that looks at trades and um, finances in the United States. They're, I guess, targeting Ripple. Why is XRP, the coin, being affected by it? Is it not decentralized? Well, so the Security and Exchange Commission, which is the SEC, they are 
they are supposed to be in existence under the U.S. government to protect investors. Okay, that's their claim to fame. They say we are here to protect the Main Street investor. Main Street are the little people like you and me, not the accredited investor, not the institutional investors, but the Main Street, just the common people. And they are having an issue with a couple of reasons, one of which is they think that the use of the XRP, the asset that they're using to solve these cross-border remittances, they think it's a security. And the reason why they want to classify it, and that's really what this is all about, they want to classify it as a security because they believe that they, the company, Ripple, is profiting from the sale of the assets that they own because when they were gifted, they did keep a sizable portion. And yes, they have sold some of that XRP into the retail Main Street investors. And they don't have any paperwork that kind of explains the risks. And so the SEC is stepping in and they're saying, oh, no, 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 Ripple, you are making money from this particular digital asset and you're not, you're not doing what you should be doing, which is protecting the retail investor. And we're going to step in and protect that retail investor. And for breaking our definition of this digital asset, which we think is a security, and they have this test called the Howey test. And it was a test that was created many, many, many years ago. And their interpretation is that it's a security, but there's a lot of other people in a lot of other countries who say, no, 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 this is not a security. So that's where they're going to probably fight this out in a court of law to determine whether or not XRP is really a security or not. I don't know how that's going to turn out. I think it's going to turn out positive. And hopefully when it does turn out, it comes through the form of having some clarification so that it can be used freely by people who it is benefiting because it's a digital asset that really benefits a lot of people, including the immigrant workers who are trying to send money home, who are sacrificing moving out of their country and sending money back home to their family. It's one of those digital assets that saves <laughs> saves a lot of hardworking individuals, puts more money in their pocket. So I'm kind of rambling. No, 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 no. I, I am absorbing all of this because it's it's kind of like the cryptocurrency world, I guess, is kind of watching what what this what can come about. I guess it's like if it is a security, then important, Barbara, because yeah, it's so important because if the SEC wins a court case, or let's say, which I don't think it'll happen, but it could, let's say Ripple decides the company decides to settle. They come up with a settlement agreement. They have to pay a big fine. And then, I don't know, the the SEC decides, okay, we'll let you still use it, but we're going to insist that you do A, B, and C before you make any more sales. And I don't know what the SEC is really trying to do. They have already tried to settle once, but the CEO and the co-founder said, no, 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 we are going to fight this because we believe that 
the law is on our side and we will win. So it's coming down to a court battle. But my point is, is if the SEC were to win and they classify XRP successfully as a security, it's going to have this huge, unfortunate spillover effect onto the market with many other digital assets out there that are like it. Hmm. That's why everyone's paying attention so closely to this case. Yes, because it sounds like a lot of people are invested in cryptocurrency because they don't want government intervention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, what's ironic is that here's this entity that's supposed to protect the investor, but what they have done is they have seriously, massively damaged so they have hurt so many small investors, small holders of XRP. It's they've done the exact opposite. So it's really you'll probably see. Well, you already saw that there is a beginning of a class action suit that's been filed by a, an attorney by the name of Deaton. But in, these battles are long and ugly and painful and expensive. It's not what anybody looks forward to. So maybe that brings me to what I want to say is, you know, I never really give advice in this space because that's been my, I'm not one to like tell you what project to invest in. But one thing I will tell everyone is to always diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket when you're getting into this space. Yes. I'm noticing like uh, people were saying on the forums, they're like, Just look at different coins, look at different exchanges, look at different wallets, you know, never keep all your eggs in one basket, Uh, separate, you know, where you're holding everything. And it's just the best word to use, decentralized. It's very just, it's all about the individual and where you keep your money and how you take care of your money. Yeah. Don't lose your private keys. You have private keys that, that are attached to your digital wallets or your hard cold storage wallets and don't don't, you have to see if you safeguard and protect that i read somewhere i apologize for cutting you off no you're not at all but i read somewhere where there was a gentleman who lost about like over 50 or 60 million dollars and i think i'm like undervaluing it of bitcoin because he forgot his keys yeah there's lots of stories out there I think there's 21 million Bitcoin and they estimate about 6 million of it is totally lost, gone, forgotten. People die and they don't pass on their keys to their family. So when they pass away, it's completely gone forever. Some people lose their password like I did the first Bitcoin I bought. I have no idea. (laughs) Can't get into my wallet at all. Luckily, it wasn't a lot. But yeah, I'm one of those people. Stephen Thomas just talked about where he has only two more attempts to try to get into his wallet because he's in, I don't know what wallet he's in, but so many attempts and then it locks you out automatically. He only has two attempts left and in his wallet, he has 200 million. So I think I would take my time. (laughs) I would take my time to uh, remember those keys. Yeah. So it's a high risk space. And that's another thing that that's maybe one of the reasons why it's been slow to adopt, because it's not necessarily an easy space to be in. You have to be a little bit able to handle 
all the different kinds of responsibility and risk. So it's not an easy space, but it has some awesome rewards financially if you do take the risk. Yeah. Well, as an American living in Japan, do you believe that or do you see cryptocurrency being more widely used in Japan than in the United States? Yeah, there's, well, I would say that, do you know why Tokyo in particular and Osaka were early to adopt? There's a, have you ever heard of the Bitcoin Jesus? No. No. (laughs) He's a real person. His name is Roger Veer. Okay. Roger lives between St. Kitts and Tokyo. He has two different residences. And when he's, he's been in Tokyo for years and he was one of the first who literally put boots on the ground and got restaurants and small bars and businesses to accept Bitcoin back in 2012. And he just happened to introduce on a relentless basis here. And he brought on the adoption of Bitcoin in Japan and Tokyo and Osaka in particular earlier than any other place, I think, really. I don't think you can tell me another place in the world that adopted Bitcoin sooner than Tokyo. Yeah. So he has since, you know, created a fork of Bitcoin and now it's Bitcoin Cash, BCH. So he wanted to make it a little bit more friendly to actually work more scalable for payments. But that's a whole nother discussion. That's, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but yes, and there are some coins that are more popular in Japan than are in... Have you heard of Dogecoin? I have. My sister has been raving about it. And that's the one with the dog on the front, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Japan has their version called, it's got a cat on the top and it is Monocoin. Monocoin. And Monocoin is used here in Japan, but I don't think Monocoin is used anywhere else. And they use it as a tipping coin, you know, when you can give a tip. And there are some Monocoin cafes oh, where nice. you can, yeah, you can go buy, buy tea, coffee, and desserts and pay with Monocoin. And another popular one here is also NEM, a bit true, which is a really good exchange for people who are looking to find an exchange. Bit true? Bit true. Mm-hmm. They just listed NEM. But I think the number one coin is, uh, in terms of volume, is Bitcoin, uh, followed by probably second places. I don't know. It goes back and forth between Ethereum and then XRP. But those three are the are the three most traded in terms of volume here in Japan. Yes, it's so like it's so crazy here in the states because when again I'm just very very new new to the cryptocurrency space and in the last maybe month or two I've noticed that celebrities are now talking about cryptocurrency. For instance, Meg Thee Stallion, she's like a rapper, just a popular rapper I know, here in the I states. Love pictures of her on Twitter. Wow. Yeah, she and it was so crazy that she posted a tweet and was like, "Hey, I'm gonna." join Cash App and I'm going to give away Bitcoin. And I'm like, actually, she didn't say Bitcoin. She said Satoshis. And I was like, oh, what? (laughs) 
And yeah, she was. A real like, ATP language. Some people call them SATs. S-A-T-S. Yeah. SATs, yeah. Oh, that tells me she's into it pretty big. Very much so. And then, like, and then when Elon Musk tweeted about it, it was like the crypto Twitter world went crazy. Like, just I think it was like a very, like, it was like three words or something that he tweeted about Bitcoin. And it was just, they just lost it. Why do you think now? And then, too, you just start to see like the chases. And I, I think the chase JP Morgan, they're starting to get into. Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, why do you think now the US, these U.S. companies, these U.S. entities are starting to recognize the importance of cryptocurrency? Yeah, that's like a 10-hour discussion. But <laughs> if I tell you in like a... Well, for the celebrities that are coming on, sometimes they use it to promote themselves, right? Because it is kind of one of those hot things to talk about when it's... When we're in a bull market and people are making money, tends to get very popular, right? Google search goes up and people talk about it and taxi cab drivers talk to you about it. And and so that's, we're kind of in that phase right now. And I think people get really excited because they're excited to see the adoption rate of this space grow with more people who are interested. And then if you go to the JP Morgans and all the institutional investors, well, they're getting in because they see that Bitcoin has been seriously accepted as a store of value, kind of like gold. And they see it as the next digital gold. So you know that you have people that are just buying gold or silver or precious metals. Well, Bitcoin is kind of turning out to be very, very similar to gold, a store value. So people, I mean, the institutional investors are adding it to their offerings, to their clients and to their customers, some through funds, some through they custody the digital asset for their customers. And people are buying it as a hedge against a falling fiat because there's not a lot of belief that people can keep printing this money. Mm-hmm. You know, all the money that the United States prints for its bank balance from the central bank, it's not backed by anything. And that's so our debt just gets bigger and bigger and, and bigger, bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So people see because Bitcoin is set at a finite amount, because it's you can't make any more of it, and it's a set amount that it has this capability to be a good hedge, a good insurance policy against the what some people say is the inevitable fall of the dollar or the pound or any other currency that's out there. They, people just don't believe in the governments anymore. No, they don't. They have not done a good job at, at managing the money. I mean, that's not just an opinion. That's the truth. They've done a really bad job at managing money. So I think um, they're buying into it because they don't want to go down with the ship. <laughs> oh, I understand. So as a newbie who's looking to buy cryptocurrency, what should I look for at a coin? Well, I go back to that thing again where I told you, do you want to make some quick money in a bull market? Do you want to make an investment hold and believe in the project because it is solving a real problem? Or do you want to 
I mean, before I tell you what to look at, why are you wanting to buy it? Do you want to buy it because you're excited for the technology? Or I mean, you know, why you have to ask yourself why why are you investing in this? Just because your neighbor says it's the thing to do? That I think it gets down to why are you putting money in this market? And then if you do put money in the market, like any sort of market that has risk, never put in more than you can afford to lose. It's another way to diversify. So I think when you're saving for your future, this is just one of many different ways. You know, some people buy a house, some people buy gold, some people buy crypto, some people buy fine art. So I don't know, you know, you have to kind of look at why do I want, what, how long can I wait? You know, do I have 10 years to wait? Do I want to take money out in five years? Can I park this money for 20 years? I think those are all those individual questions that everybody's situation is different, which is why nobody can really advise you. You have to really ask yourself, what do you want out of this space? But at the end of the day, yeah, of course, I'm going to lean in towards those projects that do have a use case that solves a real problem. Mm. But I'm a believer in Bitcoin as a store of value, and it doesn't... It doesn't hurt to have some, right? Well, it's that diversification, and it has been embraced and uh, has the support of a lot of the institutional investors. So. I think it's less risk than some of the others, but Mm -hmm. hey, it's risky. It's risky. So if you're new to this space and you saw, wow, how did this thing just go from 3,000 last March? Can you believe that? 3,000 last March. And how can it be 40,000 today? And then all of a sudden you have this ching, 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 ching in your eyes, right? Right. But we could see it dive back down 50% tomorrow. So if you come in, you buy at 40. And again, we should say you can buy a fraction, right? You don't have, you could buy 20 bucks worth. Mm -hmm. That's what I think a lot of people don't understand. You could buy just $20 of Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin, but your $20 could be worth $5 tomorrow. So you have to really have it the stomach and the nerves to ride this market, which is incredibly volatile. And it has swings that will just <laughs> mentally kill you. <laughs> yes, I'm <laughs> noticing, like like I said in the forums, there's I've, there's some people that are like, listen, guys, don't dump, hold, like it's, <laughs> it's going to go back up. This is just a correction or whatever that means. Well, I went through... Two, two years of correction. I we just <laughs> so this is this is nothing new for you. Oh no, I'm used to it now, and I don't panic. But corrections are not fun. No, no. Well, they're buying opportunities if you have the will and the guts to do it. They're buying opportunities. You can cost average in, but they can sometimes be long, long, long waiting periods before the bull market comes back again. So this market is not for everyone. No. It's high risk. So my last question for you would be, where do you think the future of cryptocurrency is headed? Well, it's too hard to predict way far out. It really is too hard to predict. 
And when I mean way far out, I'm talking about beyond five years. It's just too hard to see because technology is just changing too fast. But one of the most exciting near future developments that are occurring today and are only going to get more interesting are the smart contracts with the decentralized platforms. That's really, really exciting. Mm. And that requires a lot of research to get your head around it. But it is probably the most exciting part of this space right now. That's something I'm definitely going to look into then. Well, Ari, thank you so much for giving me a piece of your time and, and allowing me to pick your brain. This I in this short time I have learned you wouldn't believe the amount of time I spend in these forums and in these spaces and reading. And I never knew what DeFi was, or you know, there's so many different even the terms that I've learned from you. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Ari. Everyone, please follow Ari both on Twitter and on YouTube. She goes by Crypto Ari, C-R-Y-P-T-O-E-R-I. Did I do that right for you? You did it perfect. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Again, you have a wonderful, wonderful day. And everyone else, please join us next time as we go further and explore the wonderful world of cryptocurrencies. So thank you for listening to Crypto Chronicles. Goodbye. Goodbye.